In late 19th century America, contacting the spirit world was a lucrative business. Seances and paranormal demonstrations were all the rage, with many people claiming to have unparalleled access to the afterlife. Take the Davenport brothers, for example, who concocted an elaborate set piece called The Box Illusion, which they claimed provided irrefutable proof of their ability to commune with the dead. The box illusion went something like this. The brothers would each be tied up inside a large cabinet, along with an array of musical instruments. After their restraints were examined, and it had been agreed there was absolutely no way they could free themselves, a curtain was drawn around them. Moments later, to the astonishment of the audience, the instruments inside the box would begin to play. Once the performance was over, the curtains would be pulled back to reveal the brother still tied up, apparently having not moved an inch. Now, I know that doesn't sound all that convincing, but that's just because you're a cynical citizen of the 21st century. Back in the mid-19th century, plenty of people believed the brothers had indeed summoned the dead to come and shake a tambourine and rattle some maracas for them. Of course, in reality, the box illusion was exactly that, an illusion designed to fool the public and hopefully earn some cash in the process. But not everyone was quite so easily taken in. A gentleman named Eric Wise had studied the box illusion and reached what should have been the obvious conclusion that the idea the Davenport brothers had summoned a bunch of ghosts to jam with them was also bullshit. But rather than feel cheated by this realisation, Wise was impressed. After all, if spirits weren't playing these instruments, that meant that the Davenport brothers were somehow able to escape their heavy restraints to make the music themselves. Eric would go on to develop his own elaborate stunts that included many of the same restraint-defying themes employed by the Davenport brothers. Only he never pretended spirits or other supernatural elements were involved. In doing so, he helped give rise to a new and exciting craze, escapology. Oh, and by the way, whilst I'm guessing you've probably never heard of Eric Wise, there's a good chance you're familiar with his stage name, Harry Houdini. Houdini was born in Hungary in 1874, but spent much of his life in America after his parents emigrated there when he was four years old. From a young age, he dreamt of one day performing in front of thousands of people, and he didn't have to wait long for that dream to come true, making his public debut when he was just a child. He went for a couple of different stage names in those early days. Eric, the Prince of the Air, the King of Cards, and the Handcuff King, before settling on something a little less boastful. Harry Houdini, after his hero, French magician Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin. Considering his undisputed legendary status, it's interesting that Houdini's magic career was met with little enthusiasm to begin with. He focused on card magic at first, but whilst he was competent enough at card tricks, 
he was no better than hundreds of other magicians plying their trade in America at the time. And if there's one thing Harry Houdini never wanted to be, it was average. If he was going to do something, he wanted to do it better than anyone else. And so he threw away his deck of cards and started to perfect a series of escape acts. Houdini took his new show on the road, demonstrating his lock-breaking skills in theatres, exhibitions, and even local police stations and jails. I bet that went down well. Despite his best efforts, Houdini still failed to drum up the kind of enthusiasm that he longed for. And by 1898, after years of struggling to make ends meet, he considered quitting show business for good. Fortunately, during this moment of indecision, he caught his first big break, when a theatre manager gave him a shot at performing in America's Vonderville House. Vonderville shows were hugely popular variety performances, consisting of music, comedy, dance, and of course, magic. Houdini was an instant hit and soon found himself in great demand. Riding this wave, he soon found himself touring Europe. And it was in London that Houdini truly became a global megastar. A British blacksmith had spent five years designing and building a set of handcuffs he claimed no mortal man could escape from. And the Daily Mirror newspaper challenged Houdini to prove the smith wrong. The much-hyped event drew an audience of 4,000, and more importantly for Houdini, over 100 journalists. The crowd gathered at the Hippodrome Theatre in London's West End to see if Houdini really was the handcuff king he'd claimed to be earlier in his career. And after almost an hour of gruelling mental and physical exertion that included having to tear off his coat using a penknife clasped between his teeth, Houdini was finally able to free himself. The crowd went wild and triumphantly carried an emotional Houdini from the theatre. The spectacle made front page news and a legend was born. Later in life, Houdini would claim that this stunt was the most difficult escape of his career. When simply escaping from handcuffs became a bit too pedestrian for Houdini, he did what most people would do and started jumping off of bridges into icy cold rivers whilst being weighed down by a pile of metal chains and restraints. Okay, so maybe not most people. On hitting the water, Houdini would disappear beneath the surface for what felt like an eternity. And just when the crowd were beginning to fear the worst, he would reappear, free of his restraints and triumphantly swimming to the shore. As his fame grew, Houdini's performances became even more elaborate. He understood the importance of always remaining one step ahead of the competition, and he constantly sought to find the next big trick that would wow his ever-growing legion of fans. At the Hippodrome Theatre in New York, he made an elephant disappear. In California, he almost died after being shackled and buried alive. And in Boston, he escaped from the belly of a sea monster. Okay, maybe not quite a sea monster. Most historians agree the mystery beast from the murky depths 
was actually the carcass of a giant leatherback turtle that had washed up on the Boston city shoreline. Still, it was pretty impressive and a bit gross. For reasons that are very difficult to understand, a group of businessmen had clubbed together to challenge Houdini to escape from this rotting carcass. If you're doubting whether Houdini could actually have fit inside a turtle, don't. Leatherbacks are the largest species of turtle alive, growing up to 3 meters in length and weighing in it close to a metric ton. Thousands of people lined the streets as the turtle carcass was paraded through the city and carried into a packed auditorium where Houdini awaited its arrival. With his hands and feet shackled, he crawled inside the belly of the beast, and the entire dead turtle was wrapped in chains and concealed behind a curtain. After just 15 minutes, Houdini managed to free himself, emerging greasy but grinning, according to reports from the time. Now, it goes without saying, but in the unlikely event that you do have access to a leatherback turtle carcass, don't try this at home. In order to capitalize on his fame, Houdini devised a series of elaborate stunts that, unlike the turtle escape, could be performed night after night on stage in front of a packed out theater. The first of these was his infamous milk can escape, which does exactly what it says on the tin. Well, can. Houdini would submerge himself inside a giant metal milk can that had been filled to the brim with water. Before the lid was sealed, he would encourage the audience to hold their breath with him for one minute to help him warm up the lungs. Of course, the real reason for this piece of showmanship was to give the audience an insight into the incredible physicality of the stunt. Most would struggle to reach anywhere near the minute mark before gasping for air, making Houdini's heroics seem all the more remarkable. Once the lid was sealed and a curtain was drawn around the milk can, Houdini would purposely leave the audience waiting, sometimes for up to an hour, during which time many assumed him dead. But just as the tension reached fever pitch and cries of mercy began to ring out through the theatre, Houdini would reappear from behind the curtain, soaking wet and exhausted, but alive. Of course, it would have been impossible for Houdini to hold his breath for the entire duration of the act. The world record for the longest breath hold stands at over 24 minutes, which is insane but well short of an hour, especially an hour of vigorous physical activity. Of course, much of the apparent danger of Houdini's performances was all part of the illusion. He would make use of audience misdirection, carefully concealed keys, hidden panels, and ingeniously devised fake locks of his own invention. But that's not to say these performances weren't dangerous at all. Quite the opposite. They were brutally demanding and required Houdini to be in peak mental and physical condition. The man was a bastion of health and fitness. I mean, have you seen him? He clearly never skipped leg day. He ate healthily, exercised regularly, and never drank alcohol or smoked cigarettes. He taught himself to tie and untie knots with his feet and practiced special breathing techniques that enabled him to hold his breath for up to four minutes. 
That might not sound all that impressive compared to the world record I just mentioned, but remember, this was four minutes of picking locks and contorting his body underwater, all of which used up vital oxygen. Houdini's dedication to his craft impacted all aspects of his life. He even refused to sit down whilst working at his desk, believing that it might cause his body to become stiff and sluggish. This incredible command over mind and body enabled Houdini to perform consistently for almost 30 years. But by the time he reached his 50s, decades of completing these staggering feats of endurance over and over again had begun to take their toll. Not that Houdini was the kind of person to entertain the idea of taking an early retirement. Instead, he began looking for ways to prolong his ability to perform. And this is where things start to get really weird. According to a series of letters between Houdini and a close friend, Houdini was seriously considering contacting an acclaimed doctor by the name of Sergei Voronov to see if he could help him out in the small matter of defying the aging process. Now, that might not seem too bizarre. After all, anyone wanting to increase their life expectancy could do much worse than asking a doctor for advice. But Voronov specialised in a field that was a little more extreme than most. You see, he believed the secret to eternal youth could be found in chimpanzee testicles. Yeah. In case you're wondering how this worked, the procedure involved sewing a small amount of chimp testicle tissue into the patient's scrotum. Wow, there's a sentence I never thought I'd hear myself saying. Anyway, Voronov claimed this genuinely insane operation would grant the patient some kind of monkey-based superpowers, including an increased sex drive the ability to work longer hours, improved eyesight, and better memory recall. All of this sounded right up Houdini Street, and whilst we don't know if he ever underwent the procedure, some Houdini researchers believe he might just have. Unfortunately, it would soon transpire that, with or without the help of chimpanzee balls, death was an inevitability. Even the mighty Houdini was unable to escape from. Although in true Houdini style, he wasn't going to go out conventionally. Like much of his life, even Houdini's death is shrouded in mystery and intrigue. Though the official cause of death is a ruptured appendix, it's a bizarre incident that took place in his dressing room shortly beforehand that really captured the headlines. Whilst performing his famous water torture escape at the Albany in New York, a trick that required Houdini to be hung upside down by his ankles while submerged in a tank of water, he suffered a broken ankle after part of the mechanism malfunctioned. Being the superhuman that he was, Houdini continued performing regardless, but a few days later, he was resting the swollen ankle in the comfort of his dressing room when he was approached by a medical student named Jocelyn Whitehead. Whitehead asked Houdini if it was true that punches to the stomach didn't hurt him. 
Houdini casually replied with something along the lines of, yeah, I'm well odd. But Whitehead wanted proof, and without warning set about punching Houdini in his stomach as hard as he could over and over again. Unprepared and lying prone thanks to his broken ankle, Houdini crumpled in pain, before Whitehead, perhaps realising he should have just asked for an autograph, ceased his flurry of blows. It's impossible to know for sure whether or not Houdini was already suffering from appendicitis before this incident, but he certainly was afterwards. Amazingly, he continued to perform despite the broken ankle, inflamed appendix, and a 104 degree temperature. It's even said that at one point during his final performance, he passed out, but continued the show after being revived. Think about that the next time you call in sick with man flu. After two days of agony, Houdini admitted defeat and was taken to the hospital, where he had his ruptured appendix removed. Unfortunately, his refusal to seek medical attention earlier cost him his life, and he died on Halloween 1926, with his wife Bess at his bedside. But even after his death, Houdini's myth continued to grow. An urban legend that he had died whilst performing his death-defying water torture trick began to circulate, but it turned out that was just invented by a 50s Hollywood film director who decided a punch in the gut wasn't a cinematic enough way for the great Houdini to die. Some have speculated that Houdini's appendicitis was caused by Dr. Voronoff's controversial procedure, but the most prominent rumour surrounding his death is that he was poisoned by spiritualists, angry at his open rejection of their beliefs. Houdini had spent years debunking paranormal demonstrators like the Davenport brothers with their box illusion. He even offered $10,000 to anyone who could present evidence of the spirit world that he was unable to explain. A hefty wager that, needless to say, he never had to pay out on. Despite being such a prominent paranormal sceptic, it does seem that Houdini wasn't 100% convinced, because he made a pact with his wife that, after his death, he would try to contact her from beyond the grave, even going so far as to give her a secret code so she'd know it was really him. But after a decade of attempting to contact her late husband for a series of seances, Bess Houdini finally gave up all hope of receiving a message from the afterlife. Still, an official Houdini seance is held to this day on Halloween every year. Perhaps Houdini's greatest trick was that he understood the power of his own mythology. He never revealed the secrets behind his escapes, refusing to patent any of the stunts for fear of breaking the illusions he'd so skillfully crafted. He was a master of generating hype, establishing a close relationship with the press at a time when celebrity was still in its infancy. He was known to perform elaborate straitjacket escapes right outside of press office windows, making it impossible for them to not put him on the front pages. He never missed an opportunity to promote himself in new and innovative ways. If he heard about a new brewery opening in town, he'd contact them and arrange to escape from one of their beer kegs, promoting both himself and the brand of beer in the process. These days, celebrity endorsements and cozying up to the media are both essential steps when trying to generate global hype, but during Houdini's lifetime, 
his methods were groundbreaking. In all aspects of his career, Houdini was years ahead of his time, constantly evolving his performances, perfecting his craft and masterfully promoting himself in order to ensure that Houdini mania swept across the globe. And I guess it worked. Today, he is very probably the most famous magician ever to have lived. <laughs>